Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast on Blue Wire. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined today by Vice President of Client Services and NFL Agent at Carrick Sports Management, Molly McManamy. Molly talks about why agents are even more valuable during adversity, the rules of thumb her team has for rookies, and what she finds most rewarding about her job. She also talks about letting preparation and hard work do the talking and being rooted in her values. This episode is incredibly inspirational and incredibly fun. So subscribe, rate, review, and enjoy. Molly, thank you so much for joining me today for Get My Job. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I've been very excited to talk to you. So let's jump on in. And if you could start by taking us through your professional journey to this point, that would be wonderful. Yeah. So I have been an NFL agent for about four years, and I have been with Carrick Sports for the last six years this month. Um, And so at Carrick Sports, I am both an agent um, for NFL players, but I also do work with one women's national women's national team player, um, the soccer team. And I also right now I'm doing some work for another Olympian. He's an Olympic weightlifter out of California. So two people in Tokyo right now, which is really cool, but mostly NFL players. And, um, I also am the vice president of client services. So how I got to both capacities at Carrick sports is when I was about 19, I knew I wanted to go to law school and I wanted to work in football. I grew up a big football fan. I would spend my Friday nights at a high school football game. And then Saturday, my family, we had UCLA season tickets my entire life, um, but we lived in Arizona. So we would drive out faithfully six hours one way to the game and tailgate for another six hours, go to the game. That's kind of my childhood when I think of... uh, like real family pastime. That's what we did is just watch football and then grew up a huge Cardinals fan. Cause I was from Arizona mm-hmm. and I just knew I wanted to be around the sport somehow. And so when I thought of how law school and football could come together, uh, becoming an agent is what I landed on. So I finished my undergrad and went to law school with the intention to become an agent and was really fortunate that in the summer going into my last year of law school, I was approached by my now boss. Um, He got my name from someone, I think, from my law school itself. And he said, I'm hiring. I have an agency. I'm basically running it by myself right now. I need hungry talent. And I said, whatever you need me to do, I'll do. (laughs) That's awesome. So he hired me. In my last year of law school, I was able to work for him remotely. And then we got along great. We did good work together. So... We then, you know, got on a full-time basis. I moved to Vegas and I was then the client services manager. And so for about two years, I just worked in client services, basically preparing me to become an agent. So doing all the tasks that an agent would do in the day-to-day without having to be certified by the NFLPA before I could actually take the exam. Um, So when I did have my first opportunity to take it, it was 2017, I passed the exam. So that's when I became an actual agent. Um, and I, up until this point, I worked with all of our clients. We have about 35 right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, mostly NFL players and I mean, just a wide range of careers, you know, guys that have been journeymen, guys that have, you know, had a, a really rough journey sticking with the team and then all the way up to Super Bowl champions, pro bowlers. Um, and it's been really awesome, you know, getting the whole wide spectrum because it really makes you appreciate every single guy's career. They all work so hard, no matter who they are. Um, and yeah, now I have a few of my own clients. So in my agent capacity, I have three clients of my own. And that is a dream come true in itself. Uh, it's hard to get one client. So to have three is really awesome. And yeah, now I'm 
feel like I'm transitioning into being less of a rookie in the business. Not mm-hmm. quite a vet, but somewhere in between. <laughs> that's, that's fair. I like it somewhere between the rookie and the vet. Yes. <laughs> uh, I like that a lot. You know, I have kind of a um, funny, not funny, haha, but somewhat funny question. And I think a lot of times people think of agents and they have an idea in their mind. But when you're working with your clients, if it's if it is more of a journeyman player who's having trouble staying with one team or is having, you know, is is bouncing around. Is there any difference kind of emotionally in how you work with that type of player as opposed to a perennial pro bowler who maybe just won a Super Bowl? Yeah. So I actually, you know, when I'm, you know, pitching to families of players and players themselves about really what I do as an agent and why I'm valuable, I always tell them that you're going to find my value more in adversity than you are when everything is good. Mm-hmm. And so I think that agents really separate themselves as, you know, who they are as an agent when their players are out of work and they do need that more mental aspect of this to come from you. You know, I think a big aspect of our job is maintaining your player's peace. And so mm-hmm. whatever I can do to make their lives easier is my job every single day. So in the case of a guy that maybe just got cut or, you know, was with a team for a few weeks and now he's been out of work for three weeks and we're trying to get him workouts and he's going on a workout and he's not getting signed. I mean, last year that was a lot of guys because of COVID and the rules surrounding workouts. And really our job is to maintain that level of like, you got this and I know it's tough, but we're here for you and to absolutely grind it out behind the scenes for them. And, thinks that falls through the cracks for a lot of agents because they want to give attention to who's bringing in the most money. But really, it's those other guys that need the attention because they're the ones going through it. It's it's really easy, easy to be there for a client who has it all going for him. I mean, anyone could be, you know, someone's agent who just won a super, the Super Bowl MVP and is getting commercials and is not at risk of being cut. But it's really hard to show up and say you're and do everything you said you would do when a player's not bringing in money. Well, and as a, I'm a beat reporter, like I think, you know, that, that covers the 49ers. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we get, especially throughout a season, you know, roster moves and, you know, Tracy Sandler was signed today to a one-year deal. No one's getting that email, but Tracy Sandler was signed <laughs> today for a one-year deal with the Cowboys. Two weeks later, the Cowboys have cut Tracy Sandler to make room for so-and-so. And I think, you know, I think of it sometimes when I just tweet that out, report that, but I think a lot of, fans, all of us forget there's a person behind that. Yeah. And that is very difficult. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. And I think being a beat reporter, you probably understand it way better than what I call civilians. <laughs> <laughs> um, people outside of the business, it, it really is. And it's, you, they, they see these guys' names that maybe they don't know as well, you know, as the guys that are on the team for a long time. And they're just kind of, in their minds, throwaway names. But we know the whole story. They have worked just as hard as the guys on top. It's not like, these guys have been sitting on their couch and they just you know, plucked them off the street. These guys are grinding and, and working without knowing if there's something at the end of it and continuing to show up for themselves every day until that opportunity comes. And if you don't do that, then when your opportunity does come, you're gonna, they're, they're going to know you're out of shape. You know, they're going to know you mm-hmm. haven't been working. And so the, that mental aspect of having to continue to show up without really a, an award or sorry, a reward actually waiting for you, that requires so much dedication. And we see that firsthand and we know them and their families and their kids and everything they've been through to this point. So it is, it, it, there is a person behind that, you know, that, uh, status report that people see. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like, Oh, my team got rid of someone that was at the end of the roster. Anyway, it's like, that might've been a guy's last shot. And it's, it's heartbreaking. I, I always feel for those guys. If I, even if I don't know them, I just know what them and their agent are going through getting that phone call. Yes. 100%. And it, it is very difficult and sad to see. And I'll, I'll take this opportunity to get on my soapbox for our listeners, but to kind of remember that when you're on Twitter, Trashing yes. someone's name. <laughs> just my, there's my little mini one. Sorry, guys. I just had to throw it out there. <laughs> we accomplished um, nothing else in our conversation today. We accomplished that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, everybody have a great day. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so for you personally, obviously, there is there are many, many more women in the sports industry than there were. Um, I don't think there are 
nearly as many female agents as there should be. There are obviously not nearly as many females in sports as there should be, but we are making progress. But for you personally, being a female in this world, what's a challenge? It could be your number one. It could be your top three challenges that you've really faced over the years and how have you combated them? You know, I think that initially there's probably some hesitation from a lot of people around the league, whether it's the front office or players that I'm trying to sign or their families, because it's just still not super normal to interact with a woman agent. But I think that I don't face as many, I guess, stereotypical challenges that people would think of. And I, this might sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but I think if you prepare and you do the work, that initial shock of, oh, a woman's doing this wears off really quick. And you just become someone that, you know, is an agent instead of a woman agent and is, is good at their job. And I think if you keep that at the forefront, it really doesn't, you don't get as caught up in that aspect of it. Not to say that there aren't so many obstacles and challenges. And I do think I've been very fortunate in my experience in sports because of um, the people that I was lucky enough to help kind of bring me into the league. Um, I, I garnered a lot of respect just because of who I was associated with, with my boss and our company. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that in my experience in football specifically as an agent, I have been more pleasantly surprised than disappointed um, with my experiences. And I think that I was really lucky early on to be taught by my boss, like, you know, don't let you being a woman being the, be the defining aspect of all your meetings and interactions, like make it your merit and like, don't let anyone walk away thinking anything other than like this, that you're a good agent, not that you're just a good woman agent, but that you're a good agent. And so I, I try to keep that at the forefront and, you know, I'm, I'm positive that I have been ignored or denied meetings because of being a woman but like, in my opinion, those people weren't for me then anyway, and the right people are. So I try not to give it even too much energy, but I know there's women out there trying to break in that are facing a lot of challenges in that initial you know, space of how do I get my first job? And so I don't like to minimize that. But I think once you get there, if you do the work, like your, your success will follow. Well, and I think you bring up a couple really important points. The first one, of course, preparing and doing the work. And that's that's the thing that we all need to take away and let our work speak for itself because you are 100% correct. If you are prepared, if you're doing the work, if you're good at your job, no one's, that speaks for itself. That's who you are. And that is what people will remember. And I think that's great advice that your boss gave you early on. Yeah, very lucky to have him. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, I guess along those lines, um, I was going to ask if you've had, I was going to ask a little later, but it makes sense to ask right now, if you've had a mentor in your career. And if you can just talk about kind of the, it sounds like the advice he's given you, the training, for lack of a better term, that he's given you has been invaluable. And can you just talk a little bit about the importance of that, especially as you're starting out in your career? Yeah, there's a couple things. And so the main thing that I learned really early on from him was, how to self-critique and be able to take criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he initially, like, you know, when I first got into the business, it's not that he wasn't hard on me, but I think he wanted to ease me in. And then, you know, a couple, a year, two years in, he had to have some hard conversations with me. Like, this is what you need to do in order to succeed in this business. And it was never from a malicious place. It was always from a place of, I want to see you win. And he knew he had to teach me these things or otherwise I would get chewed up and spit out. And so, you know, coming from someone who, you know, I was always a good student and I always kind of did accomplish the things I wanted to. And I played sports and I didn't have a ton of rejection in my life leading up to this career. And so to have the person that you respect and, and want to like you the most give you hard criticism was really tough for me, but seeing how much my career transformed when I did listen to him and I was able to take that completely changed the trajectory of my career. And so being really open to criticism and knowing that there are people who know more than you and it's okay to be a beginner and it's okay to make mistakes, but just be open to getting better every day. 
And I see that even with him. And so I think I was, I had that trust that he's not doing this just to, you know, upset me. He's doing it because he also does it every year in and year out. He, he gets better and, and allows criticism to make him better. Um, and the other big thing is you have to be in yourself. Um, he started this business from scratch, basically, uh, didn't take any clients, didn't steal clients. He had no clients when he started the business and would have meetings. And he never changed who he was and he stayed true to his values. And that has been invaluable for me to then emulate because it's not that I think I would have, but you know, this business can get so dirty and it can get so just messy trying to keep up with the Joneses. And it's, it's a lot mm-hmm. of egos flying around. And so to have someone that showed me how important it is to be rooted in your values, but also stick to them and you will still see success was really awesome for me because yeah, now I, I feel like I'm in a space where I don't feel like I have to compromise in order to be successful. My success might not be as fast or look the same as other people's, but I know that I did it the right way and I didn't have to compromise who I was. And so I can be so proud of it. Going back to the criticism piece for a moment, is there any criticism he gave you that you'd be comfortable sharing with us today and then sharing how it did improve your career? Yeah. Um, he said you have to anticipate things more. Mm-hmm. I think when you get hired on somewhere, you I think a lot of us rely a lot on our managers to give us a ton of direction. And in this business, yeah, I, he, I could have been like that, and I, but I would have always remained his subordinate and I would have always remained under his direction and someone that answers to him. And so I, I would never get to that level of being his equal if I was always waiting for him to tell me what to do next. And so I, it took me a while to really understand what he meant by that, but it's really just taking initiative and understanding your client's needs before they even have them. And I don't think that everyone is fully capable of that. Like, mm-hmm. cause this job is not for everybody, but being able to, you know, put yourself in their shoes and kind of do those little extra things, go the extra mile, take note of things, just kind of, you know, self-reflect, pay attention a little bit more. It's You can't just you know show up at nine and leave at five and be successful at this job, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be present with your clients so you can get to know them really well. Just little things that I noticed that started to add up and I, I started to take that little extra step. It not only made his life easier because I was now able to do things you know without him having to fully ask me but it made me better at my job and therefore i you know became a better agent because i was be- i was becoming my own sort of entity and it wasn't all just about me doing work that he needed help with now i'm able to take on my own stuff and when you talk about being rooted in your values and i think this is an important point to expand upon if we can because i think in this business and in many businesses, but I do think in this business, it can be very easy to get caught up. And that's totally fine, but you always want to be doing things you're comfortable with and that you feel are right for you and not feeling a pressure. When you ever have that moment of where you could go one direction or the other, what is it that keeps you rooted in your values? Uh, my faith is the biggest thing. I I had to have sort of a come to Jesus moment with myself a couple of years into this business and ask myself, what is really my why and why am I facing certain things and why are certain things making me insecure in this business? And when I finally kind of let go of the ego side of it and allowed myself to really root myself in my faith and let that guide me through this industry, I really found my footing more. And I let go of those goals that were just purely worldly accolades that I wanted just so I could say I did it or Mm -hmm. I keep up with the person next to me. And so having my faith just always reminds me that it's not about me. It's about something bigger and the right things that are for me will come to me and the right people will come to me. And so I don't need to get caught up in the things that don't work out or the people that don't want to sign with me because it's, it, there's a reason that it didn't work out. And I've now had enough experience to see that actually unfold. There's been, you know, a few people that have told me no. And even just a couple months or six months or a year later, 
something happens where I go to my boss and I'm like, I'm so glad that didn't work out. And he's like, yep, like it, it always, you'll always know why something didn't work out. And it's not always like that they were a bad person or something. It's just like what some of their goals I can see tangibly do not align with ours. Mm-hmm. And so you, I, I, now that I've had those experiences, I can be way more at peace with the rejection and the hardships of this industry. Um, but that, that really always goes back to my faith, being able to, to root myself in that. Well, and I think that's also really good life advice that things don't always work out. It could be business. It could be personal life, whatever it may be. And oftentimes you will find the reason. And if you can trust that, but it is, it really is good life advice to remember that. It's like those Instagrams, like what's meant for you won't pass you. Yeah, that, that's literally- not to get super woo woo, but <laughs> that's the, that's the life motto that I, <laughs> I have. I, I live by that and I firmly believe it. And I think it's just a more peaceful way to live. And so when you apply it to your career, you just give off a more uh, like grounded vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to chase after everything and you don't, you're not desperate and you're not greedy and all the things that kind of come off snaky in this business and kind of make people go, Ooh, I don't know mm-hmm. if you're grounded in what you know you are and what you're good at and what's for you. I think you're even more appealing because you're, you, you're so sure of yourself. It's, again, I, I could not agree more. And again, excellent life advice. <laughs> really is. I think it's, and I think it's important for all of us to remember in all aspects of life. It doesn't mean it's always easy to remember that. Yes. I think, you know, I still have to work on it all the time, but it's, it's what I go back to when I do have those hard moments of like feeling insecure. Yeah. And I think that that's awesome. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I, I tend to live by that motto as well. So I love that. Can you talk a little bit about what you would consider the most rewarding part of your job and then the most challenging part of your job? Yeah. Um, the most rewarding part is being able to assist guys in making lifelong dreams come true. I have to constantly remind myself that this is not normal, basically, that mm-hmm. these families have been thinking of this, dreaming of this, working towards this, and these players have as well for years. And this is not something that happens to everybody. It's really a a really small percentage of people. And so when they do get to this point, it's just such a privilege that somebody would trust me with, you know, their career and allow me to help guide them through this. And so it just, any, even the smallest little successes, it's not just guys getting drafted or guys signing big contracts or winning the Super Bowl. It's even just you know, the guys we were talking about earlier who do have a harder time making a team, seeing them make a 53 or the day when they finally go to work out and they get signed and, and they get to breathe for a second or, you know, going to a game with their family, anybody's family and just seeing the joy on their faces. It's, it's really a privilege um, to be able to do that. Uh, and the most challenging is just... <laughs> Staying in the business, getting busy. <laughs> I mean, it's so hard to sign a player. I, I'm sure you saw the stat, but last year, only 600 and something players signed with an agent, and it's typically closer to like 2,000. Oh wow! And so to think about that, to think about the fact there's 900 something agents, and we're all fighting for the same players, and you have agents and agencies that sign 20 on their own. to even sign one is just so hard. And we're not talking just the top guys. We're talking the guys who didn't get drafted. Mm -hmm. They still have agents fighting over them. And so every year, it's like it restarts. It does not matter. It's a what have you done for me lately business. And so you could have a great year and think, okay, I'm going to have some momentum. And you, you typically do, but you can't let off the gas. You have to still go just as hard the next year and try to have just as good of a year because as much as I'm not in this business for the money, you have to sign players to make money in this business. So you can never really stop, uh, you know, trying to do that. And it's just tough. It gets tougher every year, I swear. And it's, it's not for the week for sure. 
If you could give our listeners one piece of advice for starting a career specifically in your part of the industry, what would that advice be? Um, it kind of goes back to what I, in my boss taught me early on, but more specifically, you know, for if, if women are listening, I would just say, stay true to who you are and don't change for the industry, make the industry change for you. And I'm not talking about like, you know, be, be a good person, do all like work hard, do all those things. But if we're trying to break into sports and change this industry and make it more accessible for women and people of color and just people who have historically not had the space in the industry that other people have, we can't get here and then just be like everybody else. We have Mm -hmm. to use our differences in order to show that, okay, I am different, but I'm also good at this. Like I loved seeing Malika Andrews last night, not just because she is a black woman, but because she's young and it's Mm -hmm. showing like, we don't need to be, you know, you don't need to be a broadcaster for 25 years to be able to go and do the courtside interview for the NBA championship. Like a 26 year old black woman had those skills in that moment. And if she wouldn't have, you know, fought for that, or if the people around her wouldn't have championed her into that spot, you know, she might've done the same thing. A lot of these other broadcasters had done and waited till she was 40 and then get her chance. You know, you kind of have to shove your way in, but don't mask what makes you different in order to do that. You know, and the way you talk, the way you look, the way you use your social media, all of it should be true to you because we we want to show people that we can do things our way and still find success in this business. And that will make it more available and accessible to other people on their way up. You mentioned social media, uh, so I think that's a, a good thing for us to talk about. How do you navigate it? As a woman in the industry, as a sports fan, as a agent, how do you navigate social media? You know, I think I use it a lot differently than most agents. I think a lot of agents keep it super vanilla, super business, and I understand why they do that. But I... And you know, there was a point a couple of years ago where I thought, okay, maybe I do need to stop posting original thoughts and maybe my opinions don't belong. And I was worried that it was like keeping me from getting business and I needed to change. But then I had to give myself that advice that I just gave. And I just kept being myself and I kept posting things that were on my heart. And I kept posting about the things that made me happy and made me me, which is my family and my faith and my sports teams and my friends my dog, all the things that maybe other agents leave off because they're trying to keep it strictly business. And then that year that I kind of had that, what am I going to do with my social media kind of thought process? I had more than one scout uh, for NFL teams come up to me at the combine who I never met before and say to me, I love your Twitter. Like, I think what you do on Twitter is so like cool. Your Twitter is one of my favorites. Oh, it's amazing. That has led to, with those scouts, really genuine friendships, which are re- is really important in this business. And it was just an affirmation to me that I was right in maintaining my authenticity and being who I was. And people are looking for a breath of fresh air. They don't want to see the same thing over and over again. And so I think the main thing is, yeah, like there is a line. You, you don't need to be sharing everything and keep it you know, stuff that you'll be proud is there five, 10 years from now. Don't, don't be stupid. (laughs) Right. But it's okay to have personality. It's the same thing I tell my clients, like the NFL does not want them to have personality, but it's okay to that's, that's the social media accounts you see, you know, within the athlete circle that are working. Mm -hmm. It's the guys that are showing who they are. And I think it's no different for us. I think as long as you're respectful of others and you're really sharing things that you're passionate about and you're keeping it, you know, friendly. I don't see any issue with using it the same way, you know, a normal person does. I think it can be to your advantage because then people can connect some way with you. Agree. I agree with that 100%. Um, And I like the idea of 
posting things she'll be proud of in five to 10 years. I think it's a really good, it's a good kind of boundary for yourself. A good way to look at it is you're about to post something and say, okay, how am I going to feel about this in five to 10 years, five to 10 minutes even, but especially five to to 10 years, I think is really important. If you're questioning it, you should probably not post it. That's a good rule of thumb I've had. Like if any part of me says, "Mm," then I, I usually either save it in my drafts or I delete it completely and then I move on. And if, you know, a day later it's in my drafts and I still think it's relevant, then maybe I post it. But another funny thing that someone in my office does is he's like, I just tell you guys everything that I would tweet. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's a good rule too. Then you get it off your chest and someone gives you a chuckle. Cause there's so many things that I would tweet that are hilarious, but I also know I don't want out there or, you know, in the wrong hands could be misinterpreted. So you still have to have that, that kind of inner dialogue with yourself of what really belongs on social media. But it doesn't mean you have to be so boring that all you do is retweet NFL team accounts, you know? Right. I think that's fair. <laughs> I think that's very fair. I actually have a colleague like that as well, who I'll be like, I would like to tweet li- tweet this, but I don't think I should. So I'm just going to tell it to you. Yeah. <laughs> I need you to laugh and then I can move on with my day. Thank you very exactly. much. <laughs> and I think that is important, but I want to go back to what you said and it's come up on this podcast before. If you're questioning it, just don't post it. Yep. It's exactly. really the best rule of thumb that there can be. Uh, We talked a little bit about this, but I'd love to hear a little more as to how you've seen opportunities change and grow for women in the industry and what you think we can do to keep that improvement. You know, I think that the opportunities definitely are changing and we're seeing, this is what I keep saying is I feel like we're seeing a lot of big moves at the top Mm -hmm. and a lot of accomplishments at the top. Like I'm very good friends with Nicole Lynn. I'm so freaking proud of her. And she's one of my like best friends in this industry in the sense that like she's a true friend. Like she mm-hmm. really wants all the women to succeed and she's been invaluable to me. So I, I can't even explain how happy I am for her. But when you look at the numbers as a whole, it's, it's still disappointing. It's still like we're still seeing that it's shocking that a woman is in this position. And we're, like the amount of firsts that we're still seeing is just like it, it's shocking. Mm -hmm. Um, like I just saw today that for the first time an all women's broadcast team is doing an MLB game. That is so shocking to me because of the fact that like baseball is such a just universal sport football. I can kind of understand, you know, for the most part, most of us didn't play it. It's going to take a little bit longer basketball. Again, there's just no reason we haven't seen more women in that sport. And so I'm not trying to be pessimistic or negative, but I like to keep it realistic with that because I think that a lot of women or a lot of people see what's happening with the women at the top and they're getting excited about it, which is good. It still is really positive and it's still productive, but we need to keep the bigger picture still in mind when we say like, you know, I remember the year I had a draft pick 2020 Uh, me and Nicole actually looked at how many women had draft picks that year. And I think it was like eight. Mm -hmm. And if you consider that there's, you know, 200 and something draft picks, that's still such a small percentage. And it's really cool that a few of those were in the first round. Yes. But we need, it's not going to be good enough for me until it's just totally normal. And there's women scattered across the whole draft. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that kind of leads into where we can improve. I just think, just providing women opportunities on all levels and not letting the big moves on top distract us from the fact that it's still not really normal for women to be totally involved and and successful in this business. Um, I think it's really easy to say, okay, we, we named a woman in this top position. And so people are like, wow, like that's really cool. But are they hiring women, you know, in their, mm-hmm. their entry level positions? Are you hiring women as scouts and then allowing them to learn and grow the way men have for, you know, decades? Are they getting coached? Or are you waiting until they're at the level that, you know, someone is in order to be a GM or something? No, we need we need them to invest more in, you know, the growth and the learning process of it. Um, that was a really long answer, but it's something that I'm super passionate about because I think that 
we're kind of blinded by the lack of or we're, we're missing that there's still a lack of growth in a lot of areas when we just think of like the raw numbers. Absolutely. And it, it was not it was not a too long answer by any means. And it's really important. And that is a really good point. It came up um, several episodes ago, but the, exactly what you just said are we hiring people in these positions in the entry level positions? Are we, you know, developing people, all of these things. And it is so important when people are in positions to hire to keep all of these things in mind. Yeah, I totally agree. So I would love if you're up for it, if you could take us through a day in the life of Molly McManamy, uh, because I don't know, you know, I think people have ideas of what an agent's day look like. Day, what an agent's day looks like. That was much better grammar. And, <laughs> or they may have no idea. Um, so I would just love to know what a day in your life looks like. So I can kind of do like a two, two sides to it because I'll do a day in the life during season and off season because they're a little different. I know for me personally, like this probably isn't what anyone cares about, but I have to get a workout in or I'm a monster. Oh, I feel the same exact (laughs) way. So I care. (laughs) Well, and and I think that it's such a, it's such an important thing that people realize you can have balance in this and still be successful. There's so many agents I know that don't work out or scouts, you know, that eat like crap and they not, it's not even their fault. It's just the lifestyle that has been kind of groomed into them because Mm -hmm. of the way that this job is structured. But I also know a ton of people who are like me and we just say it's a non-negotiable. Like I'll wake up an hour earlier on the road if I have to, but I will move my body because I'm just way better at life (laughs) and my job when I get a workout in. Um, But if it's off season, like right now, I typically check my email first thing in the morning. I know that there's all these things about don't check your email during not during office hours. That doesn't really exist as an agent. And if you want to do that, that's totally fine, but you will get overwhelmed. So I even check my email on vacation because I like to keep it like in a flow rather than mm-hmm. get back on a Monday or after vacation and have all this stuff to do. Yeah. Um, our job is 24 seven. I don't get to say it's Saturday. You know, I'm not checking my email because clients have, you know, practice and workouts and doctor's appointments and appearances on Saturdays. That's just not how it works. Um, so I always check my email first thing in the morning, no matter what day of the week it is, or if it's off season or season. Um, and then I go into the office and basically how I structure my to-do list is, what is what needs to be prioritized? So because I work for all of our clients in my vice president of client services capacity, and even for my my clients that I'm just the agent for, and I think all agents do this for their clients, but I basically go through every client and I say, what do they need done today, if anything? And what is the most time sensitive? And so I make my to-do list and that's kind of how I get started. And that can be anything from... It's, it's so hard to say a day in the life because every day is so different. But some of the main things that I work on are marketing deals. Okay. Um, I do a lot of the contract drafting and negotiation for those. And so I, I spend a lot of time going through marketing and endorsement deal contracts. I do outreach for those too. So if there's certain companies and brands that clients want to work with, I'm the one that will reach out to the companies and see if they're interested so a lot of corresponding with brands for for that stuff. Um, I also coordinate, you know, the social media schedule. So if a uh, client does have a brand partnership, I make sure they get it up. I'm the one that goes back and forth with the brand to get things approved for those. Um, and then I also work on day to day stuff for the client. So if a client needs a rental car, you know, I do that for them. If they need help finding a new place in their city, I help them with that. If they have a lease that they need to get out of, I'll be the one that helps them with that. So I, all those things, you know, if they were all on my to-do list, I would prioritize them based on what needs to get done the fastest. Um, and I, I never, ever finish my to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> Happens to the best of us. I, I actually love being in the office. I'm, I'm a weirdo like that. But if I'm not, if I'm on the road, I, I also... Um, am in the office or I have my own version of an office where I do the same exact thing. I have to keep my mornings pretty structured like that. Or as an agent, there's so much time management and multitasking that if you don't have a system and you let the day get away from you, you will not be good at your job. 
and some client will end up unhappy because you'll forget to do something. Um, so off season, it's a lot of that just really like it's tasks and a lot of it is super mundane, but when you care about these guys and you care about their well being, nothing is too small, you know, or too tedious. Um, but if it's during season, um, like the most interesting day is probably Mondays. Okay. Uh, we make sense. We have to get up really early cause we're on West coast time and, our biggest job is a, if a client has been injured on Sunday, we make sure that we are on top of the doctor's appointments, the MRIs, all that. But if we're lucky enough to get out of a Sunday without any injuries, the main thing we're doing Monday mornings is outreach to teams who had injuries at the position that we have guys out of work. So that's one of our main things we're doing actually when we're watching games, you know, while everyone's enjoying it, we're keeping track of what injuries are happening. And so we know where teams have needs and then immediately making sure that those teams have our players names in front of them and that we get them in for a workout if they're of interest. Um, and that's, that takes up a lot of our time during the season because it's not just the outreach. And if you have multiple players, it takes a while. Um, but it's also coordinating the workouts, the travel, making sure the guys have what they need, they know where they're going, all that stuff. Um, Lots of being on the phone with teams doing that. Um, And then I also, you know, Thursday through Monday, a lot of the season, I'm traveling to the games themselves. I spend every weekend at an NFL stadium of some sort. So Mm -hmm. lots and lots of travel. Um, And then the other version of a day could be if I'm doing a recruiting trip, which is traveling and then meeting with the kid for a couple hours and then traveling right back home. So Mm -hmm. it's so different every day. Every week is different. Every day is different. But that's one of the aspects of the job that I really love. You brought up something that I didn't really think about, uh, which maybe is naive of me, or maybe it's just because I'm, I'm not an agent. But nonetheless, I found it very interesting that, of course, so much of your Sunday is keeping track of injuries. And I mean, do you start the day kind of like... Okay. Like, is it, is it stressful? Is it just part of the job? And at a certain point you're like, you know what, this is football injuries happen. We're going to have to deal with them. And we have a, you know, we have a system and a plan in place or how does that work? It's just something that obviously I pay attention to injuries every football Sunday, but from your perspective, it's so different. Yeah. So there's two sides to it. So our guys injuries, that obviously is super serious and devastating when it happens, but it, we have 35 clients. I would say we have, you know, just maybe a couple a weekend and most okay. times it's not serious. Okay. But the other side of it is we're tracking all the injuries in the NFL because say I have a running back out of work mm-hmm. and I see, you know, like the other day, Cam Akers had tore his Achilles. If that mm-hmm. happened, you know, during like an NFL Sunday, they, the Rams would then be on my list to reach out to, um, to say, hey, I have a running back who's available if you guys are looking to sign one now that you have a need. Okay. And so the Rams then will bring in probably a few running backs and work them out. And you have to help advocate for your client to be one of those guys and then to get them into the building and work work out as soon as possible. Um, so when you're a free agent in the business and you're, like, you're, you're just kind of waiting around over the weekend to see if a team is going to bring you in on Monday or Tuesday, if they do have an injury at that spot. So you really won't see a lot of workouts late in the week for that reason. Well, during non COVID times. <laughs> right. Right. That's fair. <laughs> that That's totally fair. You said something else in it. And I just, it's something that you would for sure say, but I want to point it out for our listeners. When you said, let's say you have a running back out of work and you use the term out of work earlier in the podcast. And I, just think it's such an important reminder for everybody. This is this is these guys' jobs. This is yeah. their livelihood. And when they are cut, and we, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but you know, when when a person is cut, when a person is released, when they're not signed, they're out of work. And I just think it is very important to remember that. Because of course, for all of us who are football fans and have our fantasy football teams and all the things, sometimes that can be lost sight of. And I'm really just glad you use that term specifically. Well, and I think most people don't realize like there's such a small percentage that have made enough money to where if they do get cut, they're fine. Yeah. These guys, the second they're cut, they stop making money. And so it's not like these contracts are not guaranteed, especially at the bottom. And so if you're a guy, like you said, who it, it, it looks 
so much better than it is in the headline. Oh, he signed a two-year contract. That's just because that's what they sign when they are a free agent on the street and they get brought in and they do a workout. None of it is guaranteed. So the second they're cut, the paycheck's over. And they have to go home to their families and their wives and their babies. And even if it's just them mm-hmm. and figure out what's next. And so, you you know, as an agent, part of our job is to make sure they do stay mindful of that. So they do have savings and they are not, they don't end up, you know, screwed if that happens. But it really is like, I don't think most of us fully grasp that. Like you just one day on a Tuesday, get a call that you're cut and you have no idea when your next paycheck is coming and you have so little control over it. And you just said something else that I would love to talk about and that you, you know, as an agent, do make sure that that players do understand that you want to be somewhat mindful of the money you are making. Do you guys have a system in place or a program, especially for any of your rookie clients, or is it just kind of advice you guys are giving along the way? Well, our motto is treat every contract like your only contract. So even if Mm. you're the first pick in the first round, you need to spend and save money like this is the only contract you'll ever get. Because for some guys that does happen Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter where you go in the draft. And regardless though, we definitely, we don't do financial advising. So we don't dabble too much into their finances, but we do help with like general budgeting. And, you know, we have a few rules of thumb, like your rookie year, do not buy a house because no matter who you are, you could get cut or traded. Even if you're a first round pick, do not buy Mm -hmm. a house in the city that you're playing in because you have no idea what's going to happen next. Um, And the other rule of thumb is, you know, just don't buy multiples of things. Like you don't need two cars. You don't need two homes. You need one home to live in. You need one car to drive. And you should really live modestly, again, in the sense that you don't know if what what's coming next as far as your next contract um, and so, and, and also just don't feel like you need to keep up with the Joneses. Like there's going to be guys in your locker room who are making way more m- money than you. You don't need to have the shoes and the backpack and the car and eat the dinners and go to the clubs that they go to. Cause you, you, you don't have their budget. Mm-hmm. And so you just can't get caught up in that rat race of feeling like you need to live the lifestyle that everyone else is living because they're not going to pay your bills when your money runs out. <laughs> So who, true. Cares, who cares what they think? That is that is a really good point. It's a really good point. Uh, Molly, I love talking to you. I've learned a lot um, that I have found just even for myself as as a reporter when I'm you know, talking to people. I don't know. I just feel like I've learned so much from you today um, and been very inspired by you. So thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. But before you go, I, of course, uh, have to do five fun facts because... It's the most fun, hence the name. Uh, So without further ado, five fun facts with Molly McManamy. All right, Molly, what is your favorite moment in sports? So for this, should it be sports as a fan or in my job? (laughs) Whatever you want it to be. And also, if you'd like, you could give us two. So my favorite moment as a sports fan, oh man, I have a couple now, but my most vivid, just first real memory of like sports feeling life changing was 2006 UCLA basketball against Gonzaga when they came back from being down 17 points in the Sweet 16 and like and won the game in the last few seconds. I can literally recite Gus Johnson's call on the game because I watched the last minute of the game so many times. And I, I just rem- I just remember like I was watching it with my mom like UCLA in college basketball was like my first love, and it really just like it was one of those moments where I was like sports are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> love I was, that. I was I had been a sports fan already. You know, I was 15 at that point, but it was just one of those like moments where you look back and you, and you it's why you get drawn back into to March Madness into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like the moments that you you pray will happen uh, when you watch your team. Um, and the other one, I would say, you know, as a, as an agent, um, I just remember, and this, it, it, it has to do obviously with the gravity of the moment, but when Zach Ertz scored the game winning touchdown in the Super Bowl, um, there was just so much about it that was special seeing Julie in the stands with his mom, because, um, Julie's also our client. So Zach and Julie are both our clients and they have to spend so much time apart. 
And I'm sure you remember like the video that went around the week before when he, mm-hmm. when he made the Super Bowl and she had to play a game. And it was so, it was like a microcosm of their relationship because the sacrifice those two have to make while still supporting each other. And they're just the most amazing people. And so just him accomplishing that, he deserved it so much. I know, again, we talked about earlier, like what he's gone through to get to that point. But Julie being able to be there, her being so happy, his mom, who's also amazing, being so happy. And just like having, you know, a player that in front of the whole world impacted the game that that well or that much. It was just really cool. Like I was at, you know, a bar in Vegas with my friends and I like sat there and I was like, Zach's going to score the game when you touch down. I just know it. And so when it happened, I just like lost my mind. <laughs> Understandably so. I, I became like, it was almost bigger than my team winning the Super Bowl. Cause <laughs> you know, like we said, I, I know the human behind the player that, that accomplished it. So those, those are the two. Uh, those are both those are both good ones. And when you're talking about them, I kind of got the goosebumps. So that's really <laughs> awesome. Um, we did mention it earlier, but once again, what is your life motto? Uh, what is meant for me will never pass me by. What is your go-to workout? So I was thinking about this. Honestly, most people know me because I love spin. And that mm-hmm. is kind of the workout that I latched onto the most. But recently, I've been so into hot classes. So right now... Ooh. Like in this moment in time, I would say not and not like hot yoga, but like hot boot camps and hot like classes where you lift weights. It's really fun. Oh, okay. Oh, very fun. That sounds fun. What is your go-to coffee order? So I'm actually notorious for my love of iced tea. Okay. And I get from Starbucks. It's a Trenta iced black tea, no water, no sweetener. Ooh, that sounds very good. And what is a book every woman should read? <laughs> My cliche answer, the Bible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that can be your answer. I, well, that, that is my true answer. But like, uh, I have so many, I, I really got into, you know, the whole self-help and like inspirational books. Um, but I love the book, The Noticer. It, oh, okay. I was young when I read it and it was before I really, you know, dove into the more introspective work that you do as you become an adult. Um, and I just, I always think back to some of the lessons I learned from that. I think it's good for everybody, not just women, but it's a book all about perspective. And I think that's a powerful tool. Um, especially when, you know, when you're on your journeys of trying to figure out what you want to do with your career and stuff. Fantastic. Thank you, Molly. This was great. I really just loved talking to you. I feel like I could talk to you forever. So (laughs) thank you so much for being here today. Um, If you guys like what you heard, and I know that you did, make sure to leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.